Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Remy found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm my host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who is once again having to reconcile with his fear of the color purple. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, you know, back-to-back purples is uh, is always tough, but, you know, it, it is a nice salve when you bring on your friends, right? It's it's uh, Basically, we have a podcast as an excuse like 12 to 20 times a year to bring on people who are awesome and make our podcast equally as awesome. So we're excited. We're talking TCU today. I am uh, generally very well. Got to go to, to Austin last weekend back in Houston, uh, you know, hanging out, and uh, this week's flying by. I can't believe we're already... Uh, like in the in the approachable number days of, of, of football and actually real sports, right? We have we have uh, soccer before football, so Texas sports is like knocking on doors. We're almost there. That's uh, the, the the dog days of summer coming to an end. Premier League's back. It's coming. Football's home. Either we, either way you call it, British or English, football is coming home. Much like the Directors Cup, the women bring in the sporting season, and they also bring home the sporting trophies so we're excited to see soccer and volleyball spark up here quickly but we've still got some football to preview we've got tcu this week we're excited to have our friend melissa Treeblosser of frogs today on with us we've got some bol exciting recruiting news and uh some longhorns in the league getting paid we'll talk about that and obviously we'll close the show out with some godzillatron believe it or not we are 23 days away from texas kickoff we are in running back numbers now we've been kind of chronicling it by the uh position groups and it feels good to be that close to it so it's game 10 week 11 for the longhorns and we've got one of our favorites of the show melissa Treewasser of frogs today new 
outlet to talk about. Yeah. Uh, excited to have her on the show. Melissa, how are you doing? I am doing outstanding. Like you said, I mean, we've got actual football things to talk about right now with camps going on and quarterback battle. And the weird thing is at TCU, we actually are getting to observe some of these things. <laughs> so we have like actual knowledge of what's happening in TCU's fall camp. We're talking to players every single day. Haven't had a walk-on delivered to the media room yet. So it's a new era <laughs> in Fort Worth. I mean, it really, truly, utterly is, and and I, I don't know. Uh, we, we feel weird. I'm sure you feel weird. We'll talk about who isn't there, but there, but the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they, they'll come up. But it is. It has to be a little bit exciting, right? A new. I don't want to. It's a new era. It's a new era, right? Is that is that a fair thing to say? Well, you know, I think that um, you know we haven't experienced change around TCU since you know. In, in over 20 years, right? Uh, not since uh, Dennis Francione kind of handed the keys to Gary Patterson. And even then it wasn't a new regime because he was on staff. So right. um, for the first time in in my experience as a TCU fan and, and for the first time since TCU students were born, you know, there is somebody new, which is automatically going to infuse new energy into the program. Um, and then when you have somebody like Sonny Dykes, who is so open and outward facing and media friendly and fan friendly and so um, player focused, it, it's really, it, it's really changed the whole feeling around practices in the facility. Um, but it's also, he hasn't lost a game yet. So there's no, <laughs> there's no reason, but just to have hope and excitement and enthusiasm over what happens. And then we'll see how long that lasts when September 2nd hits. So what's like, we just, let's camp out there for a second. Like he came over from, from SMU rival across town. Like what's that transition been like for TCU fans? And like, has it been weird? Has it been, it's like dating, you know, your friend's ex or something. Like what's going on? Well, let me tell you that the SMU fans are, um, as the kids say, big mad. The TCU <laughs> fans are kind of just like, yeah, of course we took your good thing because that's just what we do or TCU, right? So, I mean, there's this weird sense of entitlement <laughs> between the two schools, neither of which currently either has earned. Because if you look at SMU, like, uh, gosh, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and just piss off Iowa State fans just right away. You know, love it's it, like looking it. at, it's, it's looking at the Matt Campbell era is like looking at the Sunny Dykes era. When you look at it in, in a uh, finite look, right? And, and close and from right within it, you go, man, this is the best era of this this program's history and and SMU's and you know since in 40 years in Iowa State's really ever and then if you look at it like in the macro you're like but their best season was how many wins and they lost to who <laughs> you know and so um and I love you guys I would say I still believe in you Levi you didn't hear this um but <laughs> but it's you know so I think for for TCU and SMU right now in the micro you look at it you're like neither one of these programs has done anything really all that impressive Sunny Dykes lost more important games than he won at SMU. But that's also with the limited resources, limited facilities, a limited fan interest. And so I think for TCU fans, it's like, yeah, we took your coach and all of your top assistants, and now we're going to give him the resources that TCU has, the facilities that TCU has, the money that TCU has, and put him in a Power 5 conference, and he's only going to get better, right? Like, that's kind of the hope. And that being said, we saw him at a power five school, albeit Cal, which is barely fielding anything resembling an athletics program, let alone a football program right now. And so I think that we're kind of hoping that he can take what he built at SFU and expand on it with having more ability to recruit at a higher level by playing at a power five conference and being in a school that, that is really willing to put its muscle and its money behind the football program. I feel like this definitely takes the, the rivalry up, which is already great. Like, you know, one of the best named rivalry trophies, it's local, but I feel like, it, you know, because like you said, it's been a slightly different 
different era where one team over the past 20 years has been up and one probably isn't from their glory days of, of the 80s. But um, I, I think that the, you know, do you know who my dad is, Bull, um, is it's informally known uh, in the Dallas area is actually going to be pretty, pretty fun for seasons for seasons to come. Uh, I, I think like um, and you tell me if this is if this is correct, uh, no matter what happens with the Big 12, it's going to be like a few years of really intense rivalry. You'll still have all the Big 12 hate no matter how people come and go but is that gonna like is that gonna be the the game of the season going forward i mean i think if you look at this year in particular i mean tcu has lost to smu at home the last two two times these teams have played having not lost to them two times in a row in the entire you know gary patterson era i'm pretty sure and so and not really lost to them i think we we lost like three times in in all of gary patterson's time for those two years so um, so they can hold that over the head and they beat us. And like, while both games were close, SMU jumped out to huge leads early and TCU had no answer defensively for what Sonny Dykes offense was doing. And so then you take that. So the fact that we're, we're 0-2 in the last few years, then you add in the whole, like, did someone hurt Jerry kill or not? <laughs> right, right. Controversy. <laughs> non-controversy which i mean honestly <laughs> like if you look at it was was really the beginning of the end for gary patterson's time at tcu i mean that is when people started going something's not right here like this yeah. like he like this might be time for a change and that kind of started that whole thing and then you also remember that sunny dykes was on staff at tcu and is a good friend of gary patterson's in 2017 and now sunny dykes has left town to go across town to tcu and you know kind of stuck his his wanted guy uh red and red lashley you know kind of gave him the reins and so um i think that the the players really don't like each other a lot of the recruits came over with him you have a couple right. of kids that transferred from smu um you have a coaching staff that that probably legitimately has real love for each other um and you have a fan base both of whom have spent time being i hate I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it because it's apropos little brother, you know, of the Metroplex <laughs> over the course of the last 40 years because SMU was up and TC was down and both were cheating and SMU was really, really good at it. And TC was really, really incompetent at it. Um, and, and then TCU gets the invite and SMU gets left out and then the Big 12 expands and TCU goes, no, 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 ponies, you're not coming into our party, you know, and, and then SMU is also just SMU. And so it, I think it's going to be really fun. And I was looking ahead at the schedule with some friends and I started to realize when you look at the slate for week three and you look at who will have already gotten game day and who's playing on that weekend, all of a sudden it feels like if both of those teams come out strong, you might have a game day game in Dallas on top of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was supposed to go to a, to a play with my mom that night in California, and I'm about to be like, Jeannie, I am so sorry, man, but I am not. Like, come from away looks fantastic. I'm sure it's going to be great. Invite a friend. I'm going to Dallas. Like, this is the thing that's going to have to happen. I love it. I love it. So let's let's just let's shift to the football, right? Because it, it feels like we're like weeks away. So, you know. It's a bit of a mindset shift for TCU. Patterson is obviously the defensive-minded coach. Sonny Dykes more of kind of the offensive mind, offensive background. Uh, so there's going to be a shift there. TCU bringing back, I think, like 86% of their like offensive production from a year ago. So like it's probably going to be a more up-tempo, more modern style of offense with guys like Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston out there. Like, what are we? What do you all expect from the TCU offense in 2022 and beyond? Well, you know, to, to pull a page from the Gary Patterson playbook, I'm going to say that on the bright side, like 86% of your starting production and your production in general is coming back on the 
bad side, 86% of the guys that didn't do a whole lot a year ago are coming back. And so um, that's going to be really interesting. But I think when you look and I love what, what Dykes had to say at media days, how, um, you know, he had come to TCU in 2017 as an analyst because he wanted to learn from somebody that, that did things completely different than him, from somebody who was really focused on the defense to see how he managed that side of the ball, how he managed the program as a whole. And it was a really polar opposite in almost every way. And I think Jeremiah Donati was so smart to go in the opposite direction. If they had tried to hire someone who was defensive focused and asked them to follow a legend like Gary Patterson, it would have set them up for failure. So bringing in somebody who could not be more different in really every aspect of how he manages the program, both on and off the field, um, was the right choice, I think, for Donati and TCU. Um, that being said, we have not had an offensive focused coach in so long. Uh, we haven't had a team that was offense first really since 2014 and 2015 would have carried that on had it not been for the injuries, but you, you are looking at a completely new feeling around the way that offense plays from the first snap of the first practice last week, everybody was just shock and awe of tempo and how fast the offense was playing. And the offense really came out and won the first couple of days of camp because the defense is as talented as it may end up ultimately being was on their heels. Cause they had never seen anything like this from a TCU offense. You know, these kids were in diapers. The last time TCU offense was scoring 40 points a game. So I, I think that when you look at the talent, when you look at the skill position players, I mean, you mentioned Quentin Johnston. If that kid had, he's got like what, like less than 80 career catches or something in his three, two or three year career. No, not even that. I think it's like in the 40s. I think it's like 41 career catches. Wow. A pathetic number, just an absolutely obscenely low pathetic number. If that kid isn't in the conversation for an all American <laughs> season and for to be a first round draft pick, I will be utterly shocked or I will be wondering what quarterback is throwing him the ball because the way that this system is set up, Dykes is going to spread it around. And you've got Johnson, you've got Tay Barber, who I'm fairly certain is 43 years old and it is 27th COVID season, yeah, but the, the dude just gets it. Like he's just so smart and so mature and so precise in the way that he does things. He's not going to blow you away, but he's going to catch a five yard out and he's going to make two guys miss. And he's going to pick up seven yards when you needed six and a half. So like having a consistent weapon all of a sudden, and you guys might be familiar with this, but apparently, Apparently there's a position that's allowed to touch the ball on offense called tight end. Um, I haven't seen one since the Shoba boys were running around in the, the late nineties, early two thousand, but there's these like two ridiculous freaky, like Dorcarius Spivey. He transferred from Mississippi state before last season. And I'm fairly certain this guy, like you've seen the ads for She-Hulk. Like I'm pretty sure this is his brother, her brother. Like this dude is an absolute specimen freak. Like he probably runs like a three, nine, two, and he's like six foot 11. And I think he weighs 412 pounds and he's just an absolute behemoth. And all of a sudden we're throwing him the ball and imagine wanting to get your, the ball into the hands of a mismatch on offense. This is unprecedented things. Um, and then on top of that, you have this kid, Jordan Hudson, who was a four-star, five-star by on three, which I'm now, that's the most reliable recruiting service. Obviously, <laughs> if they're giving TCU uh, five-star recruits, um, he came over from SMU with Sonny Dykes and his, as deep as the TCU wide receiver room is, all anybody wants to talk about is Jordan Hudson. And we always know how that goes with the true freshman, but I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um, so really what's going to come down to is who wins this quarterback battle? You know, is it Mike Suggins? Is it Chandler Morris? Guys, there is a Sam Jackson package on offense that is giving people fits. They are having fits on the sideline watching what this kid can do athletically. Um, and then the offensive line, people aren't saying terrible things about them. We have an offensive line coach for the first time in like 12 years too. So again, it is, August 8th, as we record this, 
I have no idea what all of this is going to look like on September 2nd against a defense that's not TCU's who gave up on average about 18 yards per carry to anybody with a pulse last year. But it all looks so, so good week to a fall camp that I am so excited to see if it can live up to like 84% of the promise that I feel in my heart today, then this is a team that's going to score like 34 points a game, 35 points a game. And that's going to put us in a position to actually win games against teams that were better than consistently. I have to ask the the, the pertinent follow-up there when you talked about quarterbacks. Has any uh, aspiring or, or astute journalist asked what Sam Jackson's middle name is? I, I have not gotten that information, but you know what? I bet with the access that we get, it's a possibility. <laughs> I, I will work on that for you, Kyle. If it's if it's L, then, then I honestly am truly shaking. But, you know, anything else, we'll see. We shall see. We'll see. We'll... You poked two specific nerves there. And I just Jordan Hudson and Quentin Johnson are two, on two of, like, my top five, like, ones they got away like when you think about the great loves of the past that didn't happen like those are probably in the top five of mine. Hey, if you want a list of that i'm you know still single in my 40s i can give you a long list of all the ones that got away but i think that's a different podcast so <laughs> we'll we'll workshop that one after we're done recording so we do we do have to ask if we're talking uh again offensive football and not dating advice which gerald and i's other podcast forthcoming where you're happily going to be on uh back to the reality uh, is it looks like probably most likely just based on production but but tell me if i'm wrong kendra miller um looks to be the the kind of shoe in to take over for zach evans after his departure to Ole miss um so is is that as straightforward as it seems or is there going to be a committee approach to who's actually running the ball besides who's throwing and and catching it yeah i mean i think that's a great question and i'm super intrigued because we haven't heard kendra miller's name a ton and i don't know if it's just because he's not the shiniest new toy out there or if it's just continuing on last year and that nobody is taken for granted more no great player in this conference is taken for granted more than Kendra Miller um all this did, dude did was average like eight yards of carry his first two years on the field um you know break off 50 yard runs like it was nobody's business of course he did a lot of that against Texas Tech and you know cactus mochi but um <laughs> I, I think that uh, <laughs> uh he's really really good and I think with the, what Dykes has said is that it's not necessarily a committee approach. He's going to get the ball in the hands of the guy that is going to get the job done in that moment. That being said, you're still not going to see Kendra Miller carry the ball 22 times a game, right? Like he wants to keep him fresh. He's such an explosive player. Um, what I have heard is, is in, in like just in, in all honesty here, I get really, really conflicted wanting to lay praise upon the strength and conditioning program at TCU because of the person that's running it. And, um, you know, for those that don't know, um, you know, Sonny Dykes brought in, um, I'm going to butcher his name. We haven't talked to him yet, um, but they call him Coach Kaz. And um, he has um, done an incredible job when it comes to um, uh, just the way that he's transformed the bodies, the way that he's gotten the guys to focus on nutrition, the, the healthy weight, the strength, the injury, the pre-injury prevention things that he's done. Um, but because we haven't really gotten a chance to talk to him, he did come from Baylor under Art Bryles. And so um, I still obviously like as a female in sports and just as somebody who, you know, is deeply invested in like the overall health of the program, um, you know, I have questions that I, I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to get answered. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that Kendra Miller, among many other TCU players, looks very, very different than he did a year ago. And that I have heard the word nutrition more from TCU football players in the last like three weeks. And I had heard in the last 10 years, um, <laughs> just as far as they're so focused on what they're putting in their body and how that they're using that as a way to help recovery. So, I mean, Kendra Miller has benefited as much from anybody. Now, 
the guys that you got to watch is Amari DeMarcado somehow is still on the TCU football roster. Uh, he How? might be older than Tay Barber. I know this, this has got to be year six. It's got to be year six. Um, and then there's Amani Bailey who came over from um, Louisiana Monroe, who's great. And I, I think he's going to be one of those guys that everybody goes, wait, who is that? And then all of a sudden he's picked up 90 yards in a game. And then one to really watch, um, he just arrived for fall camp, but Corey Wren transferred over from Florida State. He is one of those, um, he's kind of like a Deuce Vaughn that isn't going to be asked to carry the load that Deuce Vaughn has to carry at Kansas State. And that he looks way too small to do any damage, but he hides like underneath the little sweat grabber pad of your, your offensive lineman. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, wait, where's the ball? And he's in the end zone, you know? So I don't know how he's going to be used, but he has been kind of blowing people away with his escapability and just how slippery he is. They also moved Trent Battle over from quarterback to um, to running back, and he's just so agile and fast that, that I think he's a guy that's going to get touches too. And so you're really looking at five different guys that have potential to get touches every game. I'd imagine Kendrick Miller's going to get the bulk of those, but I still see him and kind of being that, you know, 12, 16, 18 touches per game um, role unless, you know, the Frogs really need to grind it out in the fourth quarter. We've been in a grinded out game recently between Texas and TCU. And it, it um, that, my, that was a laundry of, game. Come on, all, that game of, was awful. Right. Of all of the games that I think I was stressed out about, that one was probably the most simply because like it, it just felt like it lasted forever. It felt like it just leaning on each other for, for for 60 minutes. It was it was awful. But let's let's switch sides and let's talk about the defense, because, again, the defense brings back a bunch of production, a bunch of guys from last year, but also a bunch of guys from last year um, lose a guy like O'Shawn Mathis, who we can both now officially hate. I think uh, it's fine. Get out of here. We don't like you anyways. Uh, Kari Coleman, I think is headed to Ole Miss. And so like there's, there's that pass rushing gap, but I think TCU, uh, that's the thing that has always given me nightmares the most about TCU. It's like how, who's going to be the person to step? Cause there's always somebody, there's always some swamp monster at TCU. That's going to come off the edge and, and is going to just haunt my dreams and make things go terrible. Like, who should we be looking out for on the edge? So it's going to be interesting because, you know, TCU moves from an even front to an odd front this year with Joe Gillespie and gets away from the 4-2-5 that's kind of defined the TCU defense over the last two decades into a 3-3-5. And so um, I think it's going to be – and the pass rush that has always been so good was so just inept the last two or three seasons. Um, I mean, after setting records for sacks in a season, I mean, TC was at the bottom of the barrel and I think outside the top 100 in total sacks each of the last few years, it was just, it was just not a pretty scene. And if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, I don't care how good Travis Hodges Tomlinson is, they're going to give up yards. And then you also saw the, the, I mean, literally players were going over 200 yards per game against the Gary Patterson defense, which I think it happened one time in history and happened like, five times last year. So um, it, it all starts with getting pressure in the back and, and making teams think about what they want to run. And so that's probably the biggest question mark on the defensive side of the ball coming into camp and probably the biggest question mark before game one. Uh, that being said, I'm really intrigued to see what Dylan Horton becomes. Um, he is just such a, he is one of those freak monster crazy athletic people that just looks like he should get a sack just by looking at the quarterback, like with ill intent, you know, like I would just fall down if he looked at me that way. <laughs> he looked physically imposing next to Oshawn Mathis last year, but he just really hasn't delivered on his promise. And what I'm excited to see is this, uh, this, Joe Gillespie defense, Gary Patterson is so cerebral and his defense was so cerebral and required so much understanding of everybody's role. I think that what Gillespie is doing is he's saying, hey, you're really good at this. Go do that. 
And if everybody else does what they're really, really good at, then something good is probably going to happen. And you're going to give up some chunk plays. I mean, he gave up chunk plays, you know, or, you know, he's given up chunk plays against bad teams. So he's going to give up chunk plays against good teams. But what you're hoping is that you could do more, more good than harm over the course of, of 60 minutes. So um, I think that, that what we're really going to see, you know, predicate how successful the edge rushers are, because there is not a ton of, um, understood talent at that position right now. I mean, it's Horton, it's Cole Ellison. Um, you know, it, it's a couple of guys that have been around and haven't done a whole lot, but if the nose tackle position gets solidified and they can eat up space in the middle, then I think we could see, you know, a breakout player on the edge. Um, and, and what I'm really interested to see is everybody keeps waiting for Sony Misty to give up the starting position, but through, you know, 15 practices in the spring and six practices in the fall, he's still the one, uh, the kid to watch out for though is the one behind them, Demonic Williams, who was a late signing out of Southern California, who's a true freshman um, that is just an absolute beast of a kid. Um, and, and he is, he's gotten into this, the second to with, he's running with the twos, uh, but he's really pushing Nisi to, to see if he can, he, he's going to play and he's going to, do damage what was that first name was that demonic but d-a demonic or demonic okay. d-a-m-o-n-i-c yeah at least not it's demon. not okay okay yeah, I, just had, I had, to, had to check that okay I, fair enough i'm pretty sure we'll be calling him the demon or something hopefully no uh, built-in nickname comes promise. with him yeah, yeah no no no. just had to had to clarify real quick <laughs> all right so uh, here's the thing we could we could go position by position with you and have a three-hour podcast and Honestly, I would love to, but I I also have to kind of think on the macro, right? We know uh, that this is a transition year for a few teams in the Big 12. It's a transition year, obviously, for TCU, but there is a lot coming back. When you look at 2022, it's a bit weird compared to some others. How are you measuring success? Is it pure? It has to hit this win number. Is it show improvement in these parts? Is it hittable? I mean, what what are what does a successful season ultimately look like when you look back? Well, I mean, I know the way that I'm talking all these guys up, it probably sounds like I expect us expect us to win 11 games and, you know, play in Arlington. But but I'm, I'm trying to be realistic here. Um, there's a lot of change. There's a lot to happen. I think that that what I get a little bit maybe more hopeful about is that, I mean, there is one known quantity quarterback in this conference. There is one quarterback who's taken meaningful snaps in a big 12 game in this yeah. conference right now. And it's Spencer Sanders. God love the kid. <laughs> but does he really inspire fear in you if you're an opposing coach? No, like he's going to have some really good games. He's going to do some really good things. And then he's going to throw the second dumbest interception of the season. And so I, I think that because it's, it's again, I've got to channel my Gary. He, you know who he is. So you know who he is. And, and I think that, that, because there's so much just uncertainty and you can look at, you know, Oklahoma who has not experienced this kind of off season turmoil in ever. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, when, even when, when Bob stepped down, it was Lincoln and everybody was kind of like, well, he's young, but like he was kind of a prodigy and we knew. And now all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know what happened in that locker room, but I guarantee we did not get the full story Sunday night. So, um, so all of a sudden they seem vulnerable. Um, You know, I I think that like not to, to reverse jinx you guys, but like, if this is, if Texas can't win the big 12 this year, are they going to win it before they leave for the sec? No, probably not. Right. Like this is it. Like it's all set up for Texas to be, the top team, I know Baylor got the votes and and they are scary because Dave Aranda is really, really good, but they lost a lot 
last year. And I don't think people are really giving enough credit. I mean, the, 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 they're locked in in the trenches on both sides of the ball, but they lost a lot of offensive skill talent and defensive uh, positional talent. So it's as wide open as possible. That being said, I'm going to be really happy if we win seven games and we go to a bowl and win. And I think six and a half is, is the over under that's been set and, you know, curse Philip at, at uh, you know, uh, the, the 10, 12, because he thinks TC is <laughs> going to fall under that. Um, but I think getting to a bowl game, winning a bowl game, you know, you gotta, you gotta go on the road and beat either Baylor or Texas to really feel really good about your season. Um, you know, you've got to the beating SMU. I, I don't consider that a gimme by any stretch, but that would be a great morale booster early on. Um, the schedule is absolutely brutal. TCU once again has that God blessed week two by week. Thanks guys. And then plays nine straight big 12 games after SMU. And I think it's like SMU, Oklahoma, and then just all hell breaks loose. So you want to see TCU beat a team that's better than them on paper at least once. And you want to see them not lose to a team that's worse than them. And, uh, you know, another one of our little friends over there at the, the, our former Baylor alum, CBS network, whose name I shall not say because out of <laughs> sheer anger, thought we were going to lose to Kansas. If that happens, it automatically becomes a, uh, you know, a, a lost season. But I, I think seven wins, eight wins with a, with a bowl win on top would be, uh, or with a bowl win included, would be uh, just a really, really great way to keep the momentum going for Sonny Dykes and TCU this year. Would strongly recommend not losing to Kansas in your head coach's first year. I, I mean, I don't know from personal experience or anything, but just something to think about. Also, while you were mentioning your totals, I went back and looked. Um, at least the three years I've gone back, there has been a seven-win or six-win team in the cheez Bowl. So, I mean, it feels like there's a pretty natural groove right here we find ourselves in. I mean, cheez Bowl repeat, that that feels like everyone would be happy. Still the just most delightfully stupid thing I've ever done from as a media representative for TCU. That was the dumbest, most delightful bowl game I've ever covered. It was awesome. Like, Rose Bowl, amazing, beautiful, wonderful. cheez Bowl's <laughs> real close. It pushes. Plus, they gave us Cheez-Its. I mean, there was Cheez-It stack mix as far as the eye could see. It was delightful. The Cheez-It dump. I don't know if there's a better postseason tradition than the coach being showered in a, a bucket of Cheez-Its. Duke's mayo is probably a close. Duke's thing mayo, for, yeah, for yeah. The sheer gross. I don't. Product. I don't know if I'm in for it. Maybe it'll grow on me. Maybe. Uh. The, that was. It was obviously just great talking to you. But let, let's jump into some of these random. We've done, been doing the rapid fire every week, and this is really where I feel like people come to listen to us. So uh, I want to know on a scale of one to tight end coaches, partners, monkey bites a kid. How weird is it for you that Gary Patterson is coaching at Texas? I, I mean, it, it's it's monkey stripper pole weird. Like it's. <laughs> I mean, no, Gary, the only team that Gary wanted to beat more than Texas year in and year out was Baylor, and that was mostly just because of Art Bryles. Like, the, <laughs> and, and, yeah, I mean, fair. Um, and, and I like. I feel like if if you've spent time as a media member, you know Gary in a way that that most fans know Gary, and even the most donors know Gary because you've gotten yelled at with a two a.m. DM, you know, for something <laughs> that you wrote about Jared Anderson. Like it's a thing that's happened if you if you spent any time covering. And he might actually listen to this now. So um, love you, Gary. Um, but <laughs> he did this specifically to spite TCU. I won't believe anything else. This was his, oh yeah, well, I'm taking my ball and going to Austin, bro. Like that was, it was a hundred percent because the young AD decided that he had the power and Gary said, I don't think you understand who I am. I'm going to go make this worse for you. And so like if Texas, all of a sudden that defense steps up and all of those five stars that they've been, you know, collecting like Pokemon cards for the last 10 years, deliver on the promise that they have. And, and Sark looks like a genius once again, amazing. What's more likely to happen is 
Texas drops a game they shouldn't drop. The defense looks good and the offense fumbles it away. And all of a sudden, Gary Patterson is interim head coach come like October 31st. Just I'm just putting that out into the ethos because, because this dude, like, again, greatest thing that ever happened to TCU athletics, changed the, the course of the university as a whole. I will be eternally grateful. But if you don't think he's in there with his big wooden spoon and stirring stuff up. <laughs> the likeliest of candidates to me is is d- the defensive coordinator sliding because fans have already fired Pete Kwiatkowski on the message boards. Like, so that, it's like, gone by September, you know, <laughs> like. After they're going to use the Bama game as the excuse to slide Gary Patterson as the defensive coordinator because Bama's not going to hang 90 on everybody, right? No, it, it when, when after that game, Pete walks in and Gary's just got his feet up on his desk. He's like, oh, oh sorry, I, you haven't checked your email yet. Okay, well, Check it, test let, it me, let me tell you, let me tell you the thing you need to watch for <laughs> learning this from experience. After the SMU game last year, you know, uh, or was it last year? Yeah, Sonny Cumbie or two years ago, Sonny Cumbie got sent to the podium. Gary Patterson had never let us talk to an assistant coach ever when he wasn't legally required to. Uh, <laughs> if you see Pete Kwiatkowski come out, you know, after that Bama game to the podium, just know that Gary Patterson is, they're getting his office cleared out while he's talking to the media. It's happening. <laughs> I I hope that the, the, the scenario doesn't happen because I think PK is a really nice guy. Um, I did, I never thought about the, the, uh, the Jeremiah Donati and Crystal Conti subplot necessarily of this, uh, of this all, but you've you've offered some interesting wrinkles, so I, I like that. I'm 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 stewing on it now. Um, so let's uh, let's keep it GP for just a second. Um, this summer he released what I believe is his third officially released song, "The Day I Walk Away." I know you are a Gary Patterson scholar when it comes to all things musical, so go ahead and give us a a ranking uh, of of his three songs, um, best to still darn good to man that's also good but we have a hierarchy here see i'm gonna i'm gonna give you an out in case he does listen they're all great gary here's the deal game on should have never been released game (laughs) on is bad like it is it is it is not good and again like i i think that i I don't want to be unfair to him but that was like every terrible country song that comes out when somebody is just like hey I've got the three best songs for my album out on single, but I think I want to just make a little money grab here and see if anyone notices that this is trash. To me, that was kind of game on. Like he started so strong with Take a Step Back. That's my number one. I think it, it's a it's a total banger. I won't hear otherwise. Um, if it's not played in Austin every time TCU false starts, then what are we even doing? What are we even doing here? So, I yeah, I mean, so <laughs> just I throw out ideas, Kate and Hyde. You know, I, I know that that dude uh, is, is still down there doing amazing things. So, um, but but that, that that's number one. Take a step back, number one. Um, the day I walk away is is a solid number two. Um, I, again, I, I I'm a little bitter about that one because like that, that I know when that day should have been. Yeah, it's a breakup I know. song for sure. Yeah, yeah. You you broke up with us, but then you immediately went and dated the guy that was like you know cheating on us on the side all the time anyway. So, yeah. but but game on just not. It's not, it's not <laughs> the one. It's not the move. Not the vibe. I love it. Okay, so this is this is uh, this is a roundabout one. So I there there's a there's an account that I have blocked on on multiple Twitter accounts. Every oh, I, I bet have. I know what this is. And it's somehow I know exactly it, where you're going. It somehow snuck into my feed because somebody screenshotted it. But there was there was a, a controversial running back ranking for all time with TCU. And 
I was like, it, it's just typical of this guy making bad lists for negative interactions. But then come to find out a young TCU writer who will not be named here was the one that made the call. So I need you to, one, set the record straight. And two, like, can you do, like, guarantee us that you're going to educate this young man on, like, what actually is at, T, at, at TCU? So here, here's here's the thing, you know, is, is it number one, normally is a woman in sports who, um, you know, just has to deal with all the aspects of being a female covering athletics. I would say, don't assume it's a man, but in this instance, it's so idiotic, you know, it had to be a man that made that account. So you could absolutely refer to, to uh, that should not be named as, as, as he. Um, <laughs> here's the thing is, Uh-oh. is that the youth, the youth of today, and again, as a high school educator, someone who spends a lot of time around young people, um, they have no perspective for the big picture. And while I'm a big believer, and I and I use this a lot, you know, when talking about Texas and that we can't live in the past and that we can't rely on our past successes just to assume that we are still great. There is the time to let greatness be great. And and Ladanian Tomlinson, Zach Evans, had he played with any level of consistency, and if he had stayed for four years at TC or even three years, if he had really like tried to create a career there very well could have left the most talented on field running back in TCU history, but he didn't do that. And, and I, you know, I'm not bitter. Like I'm glad that he went to Ole Miss. I think that's a better culture fit for him. I think that's a better situation. I think that that Lane Kiffin, you can deal with that. Um, that that's <laughs> fine. He's super, super talented. He, he's, he's a much better kid than, than he was given credit for, you know, academically, he handled this business. I'm no ill will towards Zach whatsoever, but at the end of the day, I was there. I, again, I'm old. I have mentioned how old I am twice on this show, but I was there when LaDainian Tomlinson was playing football and I know it was the whack and I know it was conference USA and I know the competition level was different, but I don't think that this young man who shall not be named, who I also like is my little brother and I love this kid with my whole heart and I'm trying to make him better. LT played with nothing. When I tell you that there were less than eight pass attempts per game from quarterbacks that I can't even remember their names. Like it was the worst collection of talent that any elite running back has ever had to play behind. And, and so what he did was so unbelievably impressive. I don't care what the competition level was. It was LT and you knew he was getting the ball and you knew that three types of runs they were going to call for him. And he was still going to run your ass over every single time. And he was there on the field and he was every snap and he was never like, he never took himself out of a play, never took himself out of a series. He went to class. He was an ambassador for the university. He changed the perception of TCU on a macular level. Um, He became a top five draft pick in the NFL. He became a hall of famer. And then he came back to TCU to be an ambassador for the university and make sure that it was better for the next generation. I don't care how many yards per carry Zach Evans average. I don't care if he wins the Heisman Trophy this year. That dude can't light a candle next to LaDainian Tomlinson. And I shouldn't say his name because he already dealt with so much hate. Unfound. <laughs> well, no, he deserved it. Um, like, the kids just need, like, 22-year-olds, man. Ugh. <laughs> just the worst absolute worst but he's a great kid and he knows his stuff and nobody cares more about doing tcu coverage right more than that kid but he was dead wrong and let me tell you in the group text that he is in with me and jamie plunkett and uh uh, parker fleming and and grant mcgalliard we roasted him for a solid 36 hours which was amazing because he was working at camp and didn't have access to his phone so he got out on the next saturday and he was like oh this is bad and i was like yes sir it's very bad welcome to being <laughs> a hot take artist don't try it again we, we all anyone who's ever had ladanian tomlinson on their fantasy team knowing those early glory days knows that he's you know the greatest of all time love that guy um 
uh, it seems that way, right? And and you know, not only that, he also he also brought uh, you know uh, family members who are who are potentially going to the ship and taking you know TCU there as well. So um, it, here here's here's where I, I think I'll I'll, I'll close this because I don't just want to talk about my fantasy team and I don't just want to uh, you know roast the Gen Z because I think they're actually all right besides their music and lack of like sports takes older than. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying that the, I've had people who say like, no, Young Dirk's a better rapper than Tupac, or like just the these takes that are just that are just ridiculous. But I, no, no, I think the kids are all right. So I don't want to go too hard on them. So let's end it here. You already talked about SMU really coming in, the the hate being ratcheted up lately. But then we we heard a, a mention of of you know in Patterson's day, and I think our modern TCU, you hate Baylor. So who? Let me phrase it this way: uh, sucks less uh, out of Baylor or SMU if you had to you had to pick who's the lesser of those evils. It would have been such an easy runaway Baylor not that long ago. It would have been so <laughs> easy. Um, here's the thing: Baylor needs to stop hiring eminently likable dudes to lead their football program. Agreed. Just the freaking worst. And here's the other <laughs> thing: I need to stop liking Baylor people on Twitter. Like the the Baylor community as a whole needs to give a big shout out to a couple of those and let our lovable idiots at our daily, you know, that the, uh, between two bears, like love them, <laughs> but like they're, they have, they are one of the few programs that's had real actual success in football, basketball, and not immediately become completely and totally unlikable. Now they virgin really close to it. They get real close to it sometimes, <laughs> but like compare them to, and again, I'm a, Sorry, Levi, compare them to Iowa State and their one Fiesta Bowl and compare them to Texas Tech and their one, you know, championship. And all those people just acted like everybody else fell down at their feet and should worship them. Baylor, like, had, I mean, quite possibly one of the greatest athletic years of any school. Like, what was that, like 21, 22? Like, just women's national championship, men's national championship, football played in a, in a New Year's. I mean, just, just an unbelievable run. And I didn't want to burn the school down more than I already would have. SMU, <laughs> on the other hand, does absolutely nothing for 20 years, beats T- the w- two worst TCU teams since 1997, and acts like we owe them. <laughs> and then we take their coach and the crying and the whining and the ripping of garments and the gnashing of teeth that <laughs> happened on Twitter – over a guy that that they tra- this is like the OU like the Lincoln Riley thing like all of a sudden oh he wasn't that good like that's what SB <laughs> did it was I can't believe you left us you let us down why I thought you really loved us like I mean it was this the neediest like broken relationship <laughs> but and then it was well now he's not that good anyways right right wait like we want we'd rather have Rhett Lashley like and, and OU's been saying that about Lincoln and I think they would do anything right now to have Lincoln and his burn ass brisket back in Norman right now but that's a whole other it's a whole other story um so i i think like SME is just so annoying like do something do something that matters and then come at me i'm totally fine like i can't i can't stand next to baylor and say do something they've done it they, they have they have nailed back-to-back head coaching hires they got rid of their 
awful women's basketball coach, like great coach person. I cannot stand it. Got rid of her and have a very likable person in her place. They do. You know, the, the baseball program made a really like, Oh, that's really sweet hire, but they're not even a threat. So I don't even care about them. But like, he seems like a really nice dude. They've just done a lot of things. Right. Um, I still want to destroy them and make them weep <laughs> and, and beating them last year and ruining any hope they had of making the college football playoffs was 100% the best moment of that athletic season for me in any sport, despite the fact that baseball was really good. So I still like want their failure, but like, I don't hate them while I'm wishing them ill. I, I actually kind of, I'm okay with them. We're, we're cool. We're cool. Plus so many of my students are going to Baylor. It's really hard. I've really let myself down as an educator. <laughs> <laughs> I've publicly said that if Dave Aranda was at any other school, like I would, I, I would be his biggest advocate, but like, I just, yeah. I'm tired of Baylor making competent coaches. Well, right. It sucks. But on that note, Melissa, <laughs> this has been a, an incredible pleasure for Kyle and I. If folks want more of what you got to offer. Where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me um, at the Coach Melissa on Twitter and at Frogs Today. And, and guys, like, again, with this access that we have, it's unbelievable the cool stuff we're getting to do. We are doing a daily show on Frogs Today on YouTube that is just an unbelievable thing. And then we have the big show every week. I usually appear weekly or every other week. Um, we've got a lot of new cool stuff launching. Um, for those that are just interested in college football, we just launched a, um, a documentary on Dennis Franchione. Um, they call me coach and just, a, it's so beautiful. And, and I think, you know, that, that we forget in the love and our love for Gary and, and the credit that we give him, we forget what an important part of that, uh, growth that Dennis Franchione was. And just to, if you think now of a coach, you know, like, like leaving TCU to go to Alabama, you would go, yeah, of course. But back then when it happened, mm -hmm. like, was a huge deal like just the fact that Alabama would even want a TCU coach back in the <laughs> the late 90s early 2000s so um and, and he's you know he's not doing well health wise and and so this this might be the last opportunity to kind of hear from him and so it's a really beautiful piece I know we're super proud of um we're doing some student uh led podcasts that are really really awesome um and just giving a lot of um places for for student voice and advocacy and, and opportunity for these these men and women to tell their own stories and it's a really cool thing that I'm super grateful to be a part of well, Melissa, thank you again for, for checking us out, being out, being a part of it. And thanks for all the awesome work uh, you all are doing over at, uh, at Frogs today. Hey, I, you guys know, I always look forward to this um, and, and the opportunity to chat with, with you guys. Uh, some of the, the best text, we didn't talk about what, you know, where Texas ranks on my hatred level, but you know, I, I couldn't say anything I was, about this. I was afraid to ask. Yeah. I was afraid to ask just in case. Cause I, I, I want to preserve this. I never want to, I never want to actually resent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, we're going to have to think of, of, of a, of a way to continue this when uh, you leave us for the SEC. We'll get to that <laughs> next episode, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find an excuse. We'll find a way. Absolutely. We will. One of the best people in college football, college sports, generally Melissa Trebwazer. Always, always a pleasure. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, Jared, let's start a little burnt orange lenses. We take a look at the world through our beautifully orange-hued glasses and start with a commitment, a big one. One that 
is a position that when you commit at Texas, everyone instantly will know your name for at least four years, but probably 40. Um, no pressure, kid, but a pretty big commit. Cedric Baxter out of Florida committing to Texas, uh, anywhere from the number one to number four uh, running back, basically across the sites. Um, and the composite, I think, is a top 50 overall player in the country. Just Gerald, again, we have a we have a good stable, but that's a pipeline that at Texas should never have an excuse to run dry. Is Cedric Baxter as good as it seems? Is he, are you are, are should fans be uh, in about two years ready to buy his jersey? I mean, yeah, I, I'm ready to buy his jersey now. Especially once, <laughs> once that ink dries in December, I might I might buy a uh, a high school jersey from him because I don't know if it's legal in Florida yet, but I'll, I'll cash up him something. But uh, <laughs> no, like when Ruben Owens committed to to Louisville, there was like, oh, Texas can flip him, and and A and M might still try to flip him. Let's see if they've got the the Bitcoin back up. But um, like. It seems like Texas cooled on Ruben Owens because Cedric Baxter, this kid out of Florida that nobody thought was going to leave the state. I remember mentioning him to, to our recruiting guy, Daniel Seahorn, months ago. And he, Seahorn was like, nah, he's not going to leave Florida. And then Arch commits, and all of a sudden, the Baxter to, to Texas talk is real. But, you know, he is has a shot to be the number one player in the uh, – number one running back in the country. You know, he's he's should be ranked higher than 48, but, of course, Rivals has him ranked as, like, the number six running back. He's, like, a one 115 at, in Rivals, right? Rivals always does something dumb, but like what really perked my ears up and should perk Texas ears up is uh, one of the 247 sports national writers comped him to Cedric Benson. Uh, and if that doesn't like get your get your tinglys in a tingle as a Texas fan, like one of the greatest of all time, the, the freshman rushing leader, one of the only players in school history to rush for a thousand yards each of the four seasons he played at the University of Texas. Like one of the greatest of all times, a guy who we often overlook because he was right after Ricky Williams. It's like really easy to, to skip over SETI. But like that to me, like that comp right there gets me so excited. And the fact that he's paired with a kid like Trey Wisner from DeSoto, who is more of your slash, your one cut. I saw a highlight of, of Trey Wisner when uh, Mike Roach was out at DeSoto on Monday. Like kid put his foot in the dirt and was just upfield and, and lightning quick. But like having these two paired, they may not get those Cedric Benson numbers, but that's actually a selling point for these kind of guys. It's like, hey, you'll have some tread left on the tires when it's time to go for, to the league. And and so pairing him with a guy like Wisner, especially when, you know, Ruben Owens is doing his own thing, like that's a huge win for Texas. And I'm so excited for this kid. Uh, if he if it sticks and he makes it through December, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to have him on campus. I love it. Cedric B running back uh, with dreadlocks. So, I mean, I'm just, just saying it's um... – the stars are aligned there. I think Andrew Ivins, who's a really plugged-in Florida recruiting guy, called him the number one uh, lock for the number one running back in the country. So, again, we'll see how the senior season goes, but it seems like all directions point towards excitement and uh, a really good one coming to the 40 acres. So, um, very excited for, for good news. Um, keep it at football. A guy who's already come through the 40 acres and then just uh, continued to dominate at the next level. I was having a conversation the other day about, you know, with with Earl Thomas kind of being uh, the, the end of his career. You know, who is the marquee, the most marquee name brand Texas uh, player? And I, I just immediately thought skill position, and, and I was corrected by uh, my buddy Verbit, uh, who who instantly said uh, Justin Tucker. And I was like, well, yeah, that's you're absolutely right. He's the not only the best at his position, obviously, he's the best to ever do it. All-time record holder with a 91.1 career field goal percentage, also set the NFL record last year 
when he hit a 66-yarder. And I'm not saying it specifically because of that, but the 33-year-old with two years already left on his contract just got paid, Gerald, becoming the highest-paid kicker in NFL history. How are you feeling about Jay Tuck just getting the bag? I mean, he deserves it. I mean, he is automatic. He is the leg. He is Aggie's Bane, like whatever you want to call him. Um, Well-deserved. He's you know, halfway to, to catching Phil Dawson's 20 year NFL career. And I think, um, you know, if he, if again, records, records are what they are, but if he can, you know, stay at 80% of this production, you know, for another five, 10 years, again, he has, he will go down as potentially one of the greatest, if not the greatest kicker in NFL history. And he's got, he's again, all with the same team. The Ravens are going to keep him around as long as he's doing Justin Tucker things. He may not be kicking 66 yarders in another five years or so, but again, he's a guy that takes care of his body. He's also an opera singer, which is dope. So like, um, <laughs> well-deserved a kid from Westlake definitely needed this financial bump. Um, so we're excited to see him finally get paid. <laughs> Finally, that's great. Yeah, 32 for 32 on extra points, 35 for 37 from field goals, both uh, like, you know, the, the top of the league. Again, right, he's the career leader. He's, he's still the, the best currently going. It's, it's uh, yeah, he's the GOAT, man. Good for him. I think there, he will have a legitimate argument unless something drastic happens. As one of the, maybe, like in that conversation for most productive and just straight up best, NFL Longhorn of all time. So we'll have to wait and see, but we know at least for the next six years he'll be doing that beautiful, beautiful shade of Ravens purple. Um, Keeping it in the well-known alums in the professional ranks, Kevin Durant. Gerald, do you think, if I ask you today, do you think Kevin Durant will be playing next season for the Brooklyn Nets? No. Like, (laughs) he's saying... Trade me or fire the GM and the the coach. Like those uh, those are uh, pretty potent ways to say it. And it feels like I feel like Brooklyn fi- like financed a lot of their future for Kevin Durant, and now he's kind of burning it down. Um, and it feels weird to say those types of things about about a guy who you and I got to see live on campus, and we loved him and loved uh, his early career. I loved him when he was Oklahoma City, but like a lot of the things that people say about Kevin Durant are starting to sound pretty true. Like it's just getting weird. Um, but it seems like his time in another city is done. Maybe maybe he goes back to Oklahoma City and sees how that works out. Like maybe you know the Thunder needs something. They need they need a veteran player to wrap all of those young players around. I don't know. I I'm I'm not the biggest NBA guy, so somebody who is is like oh he's gonna go here but like he it doesn't seem like he's long for uh for the big apple you we shall see what happens um very interesting we we, we shall see um let's let's keep it basketball another one that that, that is interesting is is a little bit weird going on texas uh men's basketball assistant coach jarence howard is leaving the team he came in with chris beard last year um and it sounds like according to everyone he will be um this was understood uh, since June, as he was not on the recruiting trail uh, in June, he will be replaced by Bob Donwald, who is already on the staff. Um, he was a special assistant to Beard, will now be on the bench. Um, and he's uh, leaving the field not to go to another school, but to become a professional agent. Gerald, any any specific thoughts or, or anything to share on this one? Should we be worried? I mean, I... I... Anything I say, I don't want to like speak out of turn, but it, it there's a I guess there's a reason why Jaren's Howard is one of the top recruiters in the nation. One, he's a good <laughs> recruiter, but there's also probably other things that I you know whatever. Um, and and so it 
I wonder if something's coming down the pike, whether it's from his time at Kansas. I hope it's not from something that happened at Texas. But when it's leaving the coaching game, especially as a recruiter to become an agent, there's a through line there uh, that I can't necessarily put my finger on or, or can legally say aloud. But like, it just seems like there, there's, uh, there might be more to this story as we pull on the thread. Yeah, I'm very curious. It seems like uh, Bill Self has also not been on the recruiting trail since June, so I wonder what exact sanctions or violations may be coming. Howard came over with Beard from Texas Tech, but had spent eight years at Kansas. So Oklahoma I'm very... going to need a postseason, man. <laughs> That's the only natural progression of this. Uh, I've actually seen, uh, you know, a bit humbling for Kansas basketball fans. I've actually seen a lot of them seem pretty worried viewing Jarence Howard as maybe the, the NCAA uh, hammer uh, soon to drop. But anyways, we shall see more, more to come. I'm sure on that. Um, either way, we wish him well in, in, in his future career endeavors and a, a former Longhorn coach also moving into a slightly new and adjacent profession. Gerald, this may have been the weirdest news of the week in my book, Tom Herman accepting a role. It sounds like to be a broadcaster for CBS. What do you think? about Herman's prospects there. Well, let's just go and say it. Herm, Tom Herman's not known as the most likable guy when he was in Austin. That's part of the reason why he's no longer uh, employed at the University of Texas. Uh, Brew McCoy has his own faults, but if you've heard the reason why Brew McCoy ended up transferring after about 16 minutes on campus, uh, that you will, you will vibe with what I'm saying here. But, like, he's a smart guy. Very smart guy. Notably smart guy. Very sharp football mind. Um, but, again, I'm, I'm curious what the person – and he's, he's got – kind of an on-camera presence so we'll see if it translates i wonder if he's going to be a studio guy or a like uh, uh in the booth analyst you know cbs is making some big moves right now and trying to outbid espn for uh big 10 football so that will be curious to see tom herman obviously with deep big 10 roots so they're they're it makes sense in a lot of ways but again i'm curious to see what tom herman is like with uh with the head with the headset on one one season as the Bears offensive analyst special projects coach and now moving here it's interesting uh, his first game reportedly will be September 3rd uh, Conference USA uh, SMU and taking on uh, North Texas so uh, Herman was always good with the Houston market sometimes struggled with the DF dub so uh, he'll get he'll get a double dose to start it off we'll see how he uh, he gets to gets to call a Texas based game so he should have some interesting insight like Mac Brown always had, yeah, I recruited that kid or, you know, the interesting insight from, uh, from Herman in that one. So we shall see Gerald. Let's wrap this one up. Let's go a little Godzilla Tron. We've been watching on your giant screen. It was actually a pretty prolific streaming uh, week for me. So uh, one of the best things to come out of TikTok, the app, is that it reminded me that I never watched the show Staged. If you've never heard of it, it was a, it was a BBC uh, comedy that they made during like the first COVID lockdown. It was uh, two very famous actor friends, David Tennant and Michael Sheen. They're very good friends, uh, but they basically shot an entire show, like I'll say like 75% via Zoom of them. Uh, the the premise of the show is they were supposed to do a stage play. They're both actually pretty well-renowned stage actors in, in Britain. Um, and so they're supposed to do a play with the up-and-coming director, and it obviously got canceled because of COVID. But the director doesn't want to lose having Michael Sheen and David Tennant for like his production, and so he convinces them to practice this play via Zoom. And so, mo- like... 
a big chunk of it is just Michael Sheen and David Tennant making fun of each other. It, it is legitimately hilarious. Like my wife and I are laughing out loud. We're like, Oh, don't wake up the kids. We're laughing so loud. Like it's very, very funny, very British humor. Um, but it's just like, it's the reason it, it feels like when you and your best friends are sitting in the living room and you just kind of slide into like making fun of each other. Like you did the last time you're together. That's what that show feels like. Very funny, very witty. I, I absolutely loved it. I also watched prey on Hulu. If you haven't heard of it, where have you been? But it's the fourth, fifth predator movie. Um, and I'll go, it's like the best one since the original. It's really, it's really incredible. It's set, um, in the, in 1719. I think it's basically the, the predator comes to earth for the first time. Um, and runs into some Comanche warriors and it is absolutely incredible. Great action sequences. Really cool. The lead is going to be a superstar before you know it. Um, and again, the, the cast primarily indigenous people, primarily native American people playing this Comanche tribe. Uh, they actually did an entire dub of the movie in the Comanche language, which I think is super cool. Uh, so I absolutely loved that. I would say, um, it's, People are skipping over the fact that Predators, like, seven, eight-ish years ago was also good, but, like, it's definitely the best one since uh, the first one. And then this is not a recommendation. It's just what I watched. I watched The Sandman on Netflix. It is good, but do not watch it. Like, it is disturbing. It is dark. It is creepy and gross and weird. Uh, it is... it I... I, I had to get through it because I was like invested now at this point in the story. Like, how are they going to re- resolve this? But like, it is, it is uh, not for the faint of heart. I cried once, like the last three episodes were super creepy and I'm like, I don't want to be doing this anymore, but I need to get through it. So like, that's a thing I watch too. You're, you're talking to a podcast full of people who voluntarily watch Texas football. So, <laughs> so we, that's basically what you just described. It's, it's, it's weird. And I don't know why we watched it. I would rather be doing something else. And I cried a couple times. Yeah. Same, same vibes. So uh, please don't, don't double up. Um, all right, Gerald. Good. good uh, as always, recommendation. Joe's on the cutting edge stage. Sounds actually great. Um, I believe you've already talked about this one ways back. I, I think, you know, you put it on the radar, uh, Donald Glover was in a Vanity Fair, I think, interview not long ago, a few months ago, and, and said like his favorite shows uh, of modernity and, and put this in there after one season. So it was interesting to me uh, for, for two people's opinion, who I respect greatly. Um, and then also I, I started, I put you on the same level, yeah. Uh, multi-talented, right? You could, you could each do a little bit of everything. Um, I also started at my office the equivalent of a uh, 22nd century book club, right? Instead of having to actually do the work of reading, uh, you just watch a show and we talk about it. So we, we started a streaming now uh, employee resource group uh, and we get together and, and talk about a show. You know, we're still figuring out exactly how we're doing it. But Abbott Elementary was our first selection to do that. So uh, my wife and I watched the first six episodes and then on... Friday last week, went into the office, kind of chatted with people about it. It was fun. It was fun to hear people's different takes. Some people had watched it right when it came out, and so they had forgotten some things. Some people were, you know, had watched it 10 minutes before we all got together. Um, it, it was fun. It was interesting to hear a lot of people talk about this, and we're going to watch the next six and then the finale to talk about it, and then the finale together. So I'm excited for our cadence here, um, you know, kind of in a post-COVID world, reconnecting in a different way with coworkers. It makes this show particularly interesting, but I think it's just a really, really, I'm halfway through, a really, really well done um, 
show. You know, it's obviously the spiritual successor to, to a Parks and Rec or The Office, um, but it also, you know, focuses on an issue that, you know, probably doesn't get talked about enough. And it's just it's the reason we um, do wish lists for teachers on this podcast, right? Like, it's, it's a woefully, horrendously underfunded uh, profession where the onus is put on you know the people we we this very podcast where we're talking to a fantastic teacher like uh melissa trebwasser you know like it's a special person who goes in this profession in abbott elementary set in a very underfunded philadelphia inner city school and so um i just think it's timely as we get ready to go back to school uh if you haven't watched it i give it the strongest of recommendations you'll laugh but you'll also cringe and be like oh that is true and that's terrible um but it's good it's it's there's really rich characters i think they'll probably have many seasons uh to to mine out of this with some a really solid strong start of a great cast and and i think a really interesting topic that hasn't probably been been showed this way abbott elementary was chief on my like shows heading into renewal season that was going to be unjustly canceled it just had that feeling of like a show that's like way too Mm. good and way too smart and i was like this this is this is the this is better off ted 2.0 for me like a show that should have was just too good to to last too long i absolutely love it nominated for a bunch of awards like deservingly so huge fan of uh of Abbott Elementary, so I'm glad you're catching up, Kyle. Some of the, so it 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 pick like it's good, and then it picks up and gets great toward the end of the the first season. It's so so good. Love that. Yeah, I think I'm seven, eight episodes in, so I'm I'm getting there. Um, season two is is announced, Gerald. It is coming out September twenty first. Uh, so it is it won't go the the Terriers party down route of of fantastic shows that never got freaks and geeks that never got their uh, their due in their time. So uh, so yeah, Abbott Elementary is mine. If if you do watch The Sandman, make sure you you balance it out with something uh, something like Abbott Elementary. And that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook 'em. Hook 'em. Not only is Ladanian Tomlinson better, so is Bijan. Thank you.